This is an interview with Jeremy Cohen, CEO and founder of Think Autonomous, a platform to learn more about computer vision and self-driving. Just like me, Jeremy started with an engineering degree and then did a master's in Internet of Things before switching to self-driving cars where he created Think Autonomous. In this interview, we will cover many questions about self-driving such as how to get into the field, but also what it's like to work in the field, how to learn about self-driving cars, and etc. We also added a fun little break with debates at the middle of this interview. I hope you enjoy it. Who are you and what's your background? So um, I'm an engineer and I've been working for the last five to six years on autonomous driving and self-driving cars. And today what I do is to help engineers work in that space too. So I started basically in 2017 and I got interested in AI uh, a bit by accident. I was working in Internet of Things and I was in a consulting company. And basically, they changed my project to a project related to artificial intelligence. And so I thought, oh, this is an interesting thing. It's maybe even better than my entire diploma on the Internet of Things and on uh, all of that. And so I started learning about it. And at some point, I saw something some going on with self-driving cars. And I don't know if you were interested in that back then, but in 2017, that was like self-driving cars. We, we would talk about that everywhere. And so... I set as a goal to work as a self-driving car engineer, maybe some like one to two years after this. And this is something that I have been wanting to do. I was like more and more excited. The more I learned about it, I saw um, the, the potential of, you know, impacting uh, cities, uh, changing lives. And also like I wanted to do something cool with my career and with my life. I didn't want to just... Um, you know, be on projects that weren't meaningful to me. I just wanted to do this stuff that were super advanced, super exciting. And I could not find that in consulting. That was, consulting is something that was different. Uh, you are given a project and you can't really choose it. You can say yes or no, but you don't really choose what you're going to work on. And sometimes you're going to get invited to join a project and it's totally different from your goals and what you wanted to do. And so what I'm doing, what I've been doing was to try and get out of consulting to join the space. And eventually I managed to do that after a year. I was able to become a self-driving car engineer and suddenly I've been building autonomous shuttles in France. So maybe it was like, I also worked super hard on um, skills to, to get it, but maybe a bit of both. And eventually I was working in computer vision, autonomous shuttles. And I've been doing that for a couple of years and um, plus some time in computer vision purely. And we can come back to like why I started with computer vision and not self-driving cars. But eventually that, that's what's going to happen for me. And then uh, some years later, I launched Think Autonomous, who is like now helping engineers do something similar everywhere around the world, uh, building advanced and relevant skills learning how to market them because engineers are very, um, they, they, they have difficulties sometimes to market their own skills, to sell themselves, to pitch. Uh, so I also help them with that. And then to just like get this, this dream job in, uh, in the cutting edge space. So before getting this dream job that you just mentioned, 
I just wonder how did you make this transition from not a completely different field, but a, still a very different field into a, a new that it, that was pretty much non-existing field or like very very new. So how how did you did that? You did that completely online on your own? Yeah. So I have an engineer diploma. So it's not like I started from yeah. nothing. I knew how to code. Um, I did not know any Python, so I had to learn it. And then I took online courses a lot. Um, I, I took courses I learned online mostly. And yes, so you start with um, some basic structure of your skills, and then you build additional skills related to the space you want to join. So I was in IoT, and then I'm interested, I'm by accident going into AI. And from AI, you can get to computer vision. And so that's what I did. I joined another consulting company and I was like a computer vision engineer. And what I did was building prototypes related to computer vision. So one was that you put some HoloLens from Microsoft and, you know, these are like augmented reality glasses. And basically my job was to work with uh, YOLO object detection and you would just find objects around the place. And when you find an object, You just scan it with the glasses and it tells you the, the distance, uh, the exact object, and then you can do stuff with the, with the control and you can just like buy the objects, do some stuff like that. So mainly it did not, it wasn't really useful to anybody. Uh, we did not sell that. We, we, it was just to have um, something to show to the clients. Yeah. But eventually for me, that was something that helped me build skills in computer vision for like a year. And then I was able to continue learning the other important to self-driving car skills. And then I was able to transition for, to self-driving cars mm. in the computer vision space. So you progressively learned required skills to get a job that was closer to the desired job. And so you did that twice, like once to jump into computer vision and a second time to jump into self-driving cars. So yes. you... You, you didn't go into uh, right into like, I want to be a self-driving car engineer and just focus on that. You started with not the basics, but like something broader, which is computer vision to build a better, maybe a better portfolio to be then hi hireable. So it, it kind of depends on what you want to, what kind of companies you want to join. In my case, I wanted to be this guy walking the artificial intelligence in the autonomous car, shuttle, anything. And so I was not going to do that with just my basic experience as an intern in consulting and then, um, well, basically working on chatbots and stuff like that. That could not happen. So I would either stay in the chatbot industry for like two years until eventually I have the skills and I try to apply. Or I would get closer and closer and closer to the objective until maybe someday I either reach it or I'm in a similar position doing something related like medical imaging, for example. And that would be fine as well. I would have been happy with that as well. Mm. So yeah, you, you don't just wait until you're ready to, to, because that's something very, a lot of people do. I don't know if you had that feedback, but people are going to wait and wait and wait and then they're going to take another online course and another and after 20 they say okay now i feel legitimate to apply to a position but why don't you just apply to a position that is easier for you to get 
and you don't have to take 20 courses, but maybe one or two. And then after that, you use the experience plus the learning to arrive faster to the goal. Exactly. And the, the worst case that, that can happen is that you completely fail the interview, but it's just good practice to ace the next interview. So it's like there's no downside except taking taking you a little of time. So Yeah, like to, to tell you a story about it, I actually got a self-driving car engineer offer very, very early, something like two months after deciding I wanted to be a self-driving car engineer. And that was in France. And the problem is that they offered me 30K per year. So that's very low. It depends on the countries, but in France, the average salary when you get out of, a, of engineering school is more like 40. And I was offered 30. And with that, that was like over an hour drive from my house. And they told me basically, well, that's how it is. There are five companies in France, maybe less. If it's not us, you're not going to get this job as a self-driving car engineer. So you either join us at this salary or you just kiss your self-driving car engineer dream goodbye. Um, and so I said, no, I don't want to work for this salary. I actually got saved. I was about to say yes. And somebody online said, uh, because I was asking questions on forums, a bit like your Discord, it was a Slack. And, um, and I asked some, some people and there's some guy that says, hey, I have to give you a call. You cannot do that. Uh, you're going to start very low. You're going to stay very low all your career. Uh, they, they won't value you, all of that. Plus, they, there were lots of other stories with the interview and he said to raise my guard. So anyway, I said no. And I said, well, I just go to computer vision and if that does not happen, that does not happen. And so that's what I did. So yeah, it's okay to make it a long-term goal and to advance on your skills anyway. Mm. And that's also why one of the reasons it's that it's good to join a community, especially with you when you don't have, like for you, for example, just like myself, you didn't study in self-driving cars, so you didn't have any contacts in the field really. So joining an online community is like a great way to create those contacts that you you lacked since you didn't study in this field. Yeah, so, so in my case, um, I was enrolled in the self-driving car nano degree from Udacity. Uh, I joined like the one of the first cohort when it launched. Okay. Um, and what they had back then, it, it was really good. They had a Slack with all the students. So I myself wanted to do something like that for Think Autonomous for a long time. Uh, it's in the works, but um, community is very, very hard to design mm. if you want to make it good. And you probably know what I'm talking about when you want engagement and you want people to actually like meet others that can change their life for real. Like yeah. it's not, it can really happen. Someone can just give you a phone call and hire you. That's, yeah. I, I was once in, in an interview and the guy revealed at the end of the interview that he was in the same community and that he actually followed the post I, I did. And that's how he contacted me via email to get the job. So that's like, um, he, he, he did not admit early. He told me at the very end that, that a, a job offer can happen because of that. So yeah, I say communities are very useful. Unfortunately, lots of communities, especially on Facebook, they're like mostly people sharing blog posts and nobody's commenting. So yeah. 
we got to do something about this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's why I created the Discord. And in fact, I can definitely relate just because I found my my first real job in the AI industry through being online. And so like a, a person reached out and he was the CEO and just wanted to hire me just because of the videos and what I did. And so then because the... you, you were in a community or because you were like publishing content on YouTube? Yeah, this was because of YouTube, but then thanks to the, the Discord community, well, sorry, just to go back a little, the CEO wanted me to build an AI team at his company. And so okay, cool. thanks to the Discord community, I, I met with a lot of amazing people and hired three of them through the Discord into this wow. company. And, okay. and so it was like amazing. It's just people that were genuinely helping others in the community and just chatting. And I, I just like them as a person. And we met and just, we hired them and it's, I'm no longer there, but it was a good time. It was really fun. And yeah, the impact well. is very strong. Yeah. Because yeah, all it takes is one person to just change your career. And it's true in real life, but in communities, you have access to a lot of these people. And if the community is engaged enough, uh, this can happen quicker than you expect. Yeah. And by the way, how did you find this first job like two months in? Um, I don't really remember, but probably um, I, I don't really remember. Probably Indeed or something like that. Uh, okay. Maybe LinkedIn. Not, not sure that was LinkedIn. I don't think okay, so. Okay, so a regular recruiter reached out. Or... Yeah, something like that. Okay. okay, that makes sense. So before... Before we dive in, um, I probably should ask, what is a self-driving car engineer? Okay, uh, sure. So when you are saying the word self-driving car engineer, it's mostly marketing, right? And I use that word a lot. I'm guilty of it, but uh, <laughs> that's just how it works. That's a word. Yeah, just that like AI. Yeah. Just like AI, okay? You, you, you cannot be an AI engineer. It doesn't make sense. It, what, what are you doing exactly? So um, I, I, I have built something. I don't know if you can see my screen. Uh, can you see like this thing? Yeah. So yes, I can see it. Last year, I did something with Zooks. Uh, Zooks is a website, uh, is a company doing uh, autonomous shuttles. And basically what they have been doing in uh, last year was they, that they were hiring over a thousand people to their team. Okay, yes. so that's a lot. And so I thought I'm going to go through over the 1,426 job offers and I'm going to understand the field better. And so I'm going to spend now a minute showing you all the types of jobs you can have in the self-driving car space. And then you tell me what you think a self-driving car engineer means. So Zooks, I think you interviewed the director of perception already. Uh, that was yeah. a great interview, by the way. I really liked it. And uh, so that, that would be in the software team. Now, let me show you. Uh, first, we have everything related to the suits, okay? The people with the money, uh, people who are uh, paying, who are investing in stuff. So that's an entire team there. And you can see like there are environmental health and safety engineer. We have uh, workplace operations, payroll manager. We have lots of jobs like that. 
Then you have teams related to people. So communications, UX experience, uh, the design of the, how do you get in the shuttle? How do you order a shuttle? All of these things, how, how to, like the, the, the building of the app, but also everything related to the, the, the consumer experience. Uh, we yep. also have the people experience. You know, we have lead technical sourcer, executive recruiter, recruiter, people operations coordinator. So that's like suits people. Then if you can continue, we have everything related to the operations. So in a self-driving car, we have lots of day-to-day -day operations. You're going to take a shuttle. You're going to go to the field. You're going to test the algorithms. And so if you have five shuttles and you have 10 engineers, how does that happen so that the engineers can spend time on the field, but also spend time at the office mm -hmm. coding stuff? So you want people that are like their logistics, manufacturing, prototyping. And even there, there are also questions related to how do we get rights to go and experiment a shuttle in the open? Uh, where can we test it? So all of these jobs related to operations. So they are mostly like um, business related uh, sites so far, like everything related to people who've been through business school, management, or, and also some engineers. Then there is hardware engineering. So uh, everything related to validation of the hardware, uh, the cameras, the, but also, you know, you have camera tests, image quality, LiDAR validation. So all of that related to building the hardware, but also uh, testing it, making sure it's safe, it's going to work. We have the audio. We have the platform itself, like the car, the wheels, all of that. If the car is manufacturing its own vehicle, that's going to be like 100 people working on that. Mm. Then we have uh, industrial design. And, and then only then, if you go there, we have uh, in red everything related to quality insurance. So the people are going to build the test, uh, the test operations, the, like they're going to create a paper and they're going to write all the cases where it's going to fail and where we want the, the scenario to pass. What's happening if there is a roundabout, okay? Uh, and there is nobody in the roundabout. Well, we must test our algorithms there. And what if there are people in the roundabout? And we must test it in several roundabouts and maybe in sometimes in just one city. And we're going to go through that city over and over and over again. And so um, that's a totally different uh, job as well, but that's a job of an engineer that and an engineer can work on that. And I have, in fact, worked with engineers who are doing that all day. Um, then you have two other things. You have the IT. So these are the people in some dark rooms that are going to give you your computer when you arrive on the first day. And, uh, and then they're going to take it back. And, uh, and then there is uh, everything related to software. And so let me guide you a bit through software. We have um, localization and mapping. So that's the basically building a map of the world, localizing your car in it. There is an entire team there, uh, even building maps, collecting data to build a map, all of that. There is data science, perception. There are uh, embedded software, hardware, motion planning and control, simulation, uh, collecting the data, network, V2V, all of that, software and machine learning. Imagine all these jobs. So that yeah. is a self-driving car company who has over a thousand open job positions. And so if you apply for a company doing this, basically you're going to end up in one of these positions. 
And now that's for big companies like Zooks. And what I teach mainly is related to this thing only, okay? Perception and data science. That's it. That's what I teach around that perception, LIDAR, radar, um, computer vision mostly. So all of that. And notice how small it appears compared to yeah. all of the possible positions. But then you can also join startups. And in startups, there are going to be five or six, maybe 15, maybe 20. In my case, I arrived and we were eight. And I spent sometimes 50% of the time under a car trying to fix stuff. So that's <laughs> not related to, uh, to this at all. That's just how it happens. In a smaller company, everybody is doing everything. You might have a bit of a specialty. In my case, it was perception and computer vision. Yeah. But you're going to also spend a lot of time driving, testing, uh, doing stuff that are unrelated to the main job, mm. but that can help the startup, otherwise it dies. So all of that makes, uh, I guess, the self-driving car engineer position. Yeah, that definitely makes sense since it's, since it's such a challenging problem. And yeah. but, but I wonder, since you've just mentioned that you can basically do both, either work at a big company like Zooks or at a startup and do much diverse uh, tasks. So what would you personally recommend for if, if you want, if you are, for example, super interested into LIDAR and perception, just understanding the world or like seeing the world, what would you recommend going into trying to aim to work in this very specific role at a big company or working at a startup and working on this, but also all the juxtaposed um, systems. Mm -hmm. So, or, or does it just depend on the person? Like, does he want to, does the, does I would, the person I would want to... tend to say this because that's a, the safe answer. Uh, it depends yeah. on the person. Um, in reality, what happens is uh, some people can't stand to be in big companies. Some people like yeah. me, actually, like I, I have a hard time. Uh, if I'm just like given a tiny perimeter, that even if the, the perimeter is super fascinating and interesting, I have the type of personality where I'm going to say, hey, what about the marketing of the company? Can we do yeah, something about it? And <laughs> that, that's just how am I. Uh, and so I'm going to fit better in startups because they're yeah. going to, to tend to allow me to help them on the other sides as well. Um, but some people could not stand the startup life and that's totally fine as well and in fact if you start as a test engineer um, you can then change internally and like you spend some time learning computer vision and then you join the computer vision team and then you join the lidar team because you worked on point clouds so you can also see all these jobs separately and one after the other and that's mm. also totally fine could you explain a bit more what LiDAR is and how it works? LiDAR, sure. Um, LiDAR, so it's a laser that basically is going to, you know what? Just, just hold on a second because <laughs> I actually have a LiDAR here. Okay, I can show you something better even. This is a prototype of a self-driving car okay so this is a small prototype uh okay there is like ultrasonic sensors here and um and then well there was a camera i don't know where i put it but there was a camera and what you can do is plug a lidar to this 
And this is a LiDAR. This is a LiDAR that is rotating, okay? And notice here how we have this that is sending beams, okay? That these yeah. are laser waves. And they are sent to some object and then they reflect and we measure the time it takes to go to hit the object and to come back to the receiver. Okay, we have two stuff, emitter, receiver. So it's measuring the time it takes to come back. And once it's come, it came back, it just say, okay, so that's the speed of light. So we have the velocity, we have the time it took, so we can measure the distance. And using that, you have tons of points because that's a point, 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 point. You have tons of points and you have what we call a point cloud. And in yeah. this point cloud, we have data where each point has three dimensions, X, Y, and Z. And that's basically the main idea of the LiDAR. It's that you don't really miss detections. You can build some kind of security bubble and you say, if there are a bunch of point clouds in front of us, we're going to break. We're not going to keep operating the shuttle. It's just going to break. Yeah. Even if we have an object detector and that it missed the object. If there is an object, no matter if we classified it or not, we break. Yeah. So let's say there we are in Canada right now and there is a ton of snow. There wow. it may be a problem for for a LiDAR. Yes, exactly. Um, it depends on the type of LiDAR. Um, I'm actually building some content right now in the type of LiDAR that they are, exist. This one is a rotational LiDAR. Okay, don't know if that's visible, but basically it rotates. Yeah. And so that's something you mount on top of a car and that generates a 360 view. Mm. But today that's something that is like, it, it costs basically a hundred bucks. Okay, that's not, um, it, it's not a big LiDAR. A big LiDAR that companies purchase is more expensive. It's like 10, 15, 20,000, maybe 50,000 bucks. And that's solid state, meaning that it doesn't rotate. Uh, it's just going to go in one direction and to generate the points. So um, based on the type of LiDAR, you can choose to be affected by fog, snow, stuff like that. And today, LiDARs are getting better and better. So we can basically try to see through fogs. For example, I've been at the CES this year in Las Vegas, and I saw companies promoting LiDAR that could see through fog and that could very well measure the distance of objects, all of that. And I was like amazed that this was even possible. And yeah. then I saw that, I asked a few others and they tell me, well, everybody's doing that now. We, we can all see through fog, like Mobileye, they were doing this as well with their FMCW LiDAR because they are using a higher wavelength. And so because of that higher wavelength, they can penetrate the stuff better. And so mm. they are not affected by these particles. But if you have some some sort of snowstorm, of course, that's not going to work. It, will it be complemented with a camera or something to understand that it's snow and it's not real objects? Yeah, so you're going to have a high hard time uh, finding snow with the camera, like saying like this point cloud is snow. Yeah. Um, th that's going to be hard. The truth is today, when you see self-driving cars driving, you mostly see them in Phoenix, Arizona, San Francisco, uh, in California. I saw one in Los Angeles during my trip. I saw way more car driving and I saw lots of car in uh, San Francisco because the weather there is perfect. It's good to experiment. I mean, maybe not San Francisco, but at least Phoenix, 
this is where like this yeah. is the uh, area number one i would say and yeah probably people are spending most time there and not that much on uh, low conditions but you can go yeah. to europe and the northern europe you're going to see in sweden or norway some companies working basically a lot of time uh, most of the year on snowy conditions and so there are companies building just based on that problem as well mm. is it do you know how advanced it is N not really so like do you think well just do you think we are far from having them on the roads when there's like heavy rain or, yeah. or, or snow yeah definitely uh, that's we are, we are definitely far i would say the main problem is already hard to solve and people are yeah. realizing this now uh, if you i was talking how 2017 was uh, super hypey and perfect 2023 is definitely not the same year. Uh, it's a year where there are tech layoffs in general, where people do not raise money that easily. And so, and we, we, we should now have self-driving cars, but fact is we don't. And so people are saying that this is taking much longer than planned and they are seeing how hard the problem is. So yeah. before they end, they, they go to the snow problem And the storms and all of that, yeah, that's that's definitely not the priority, I would say. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely the Pareto rule. Like the more the the last bit is is much more complicated than just having a oh, yeah. car like, following yeah, streets. You can like, build a team that's going to 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 have a self-driving car that's going to drive around 90% of the problems in something like a few weeks or a few months if the people are really good. And like, I even heard like Sebastian Frun, who's like the godfather of self-driving cars. He once said in an interview, something like in a weekend, you can have a self-driving car walking, but only walking on 90% of the cases. And then the 10%, that's a few years. So that's yeah. like just how, how difficult it becomes suddenly. Yeah. That. Definitely makes sense. And what do you think of the, like, there's the not controversy, but debate between the Tesla's approach of using only cameras like human eyes versus mm -hmm. LiDAR that seems quite promising since it can see basically better than us through fog. So what, what do you think of using camera versus LiDAR or trying to use both? So that's been a question forever in the, in the yeah. self-driving car field. Um, I say, I even talked to a Tesla engineer in one of my interviews and his answer, it kind of helped me also understand the problem. What I say is that Tesla is selling cars, so they don't want to sell a 100K car because nobody's going to buy it. Yeah. If they have one, two, three, five LiDARs, each costing $15,000, they cannot sell their car to the consumer directly. And like, I have friends who are tempted to purchasing Teslas today because they only cost something like $40,000 euro. Uh, so yeah, that's something that is, it's only cost 40,000 because there is no LiDAR and that's yeah. some, some sort of a high-end product. But when you're considering Waymo and Cruise and all the other companies, even Zooks, 
they are not selling their car. They are selling the service. Yeah. So what they do is that they charge you $1 per, per ride or 20 and they can afford to have lots of LIDARs because ultimately after a few years, that's going to, you know, get arrowized. But even there, a LIDAR is something you need to replace every two to three years. So that's costly as well. Yeah, that's, that's something like I was thinking, oh, really two to three years? And in fact, yes, so, so a lot of LIDARs, they, have, they don't have a really big lifespan. They, they're going to need repair and all of that, especially if they are driving like all day for several years. Yeah, that's not going to work that well. And if you need to replace it every time, I say it's a big investment. So mm. it's smart for Tesla to see the problem differently and say, yeah. until we don't have the capacity to buy LiDARs for 200 and 500 euros, let's just get rid of them. And otherwise there is no point in building the company. So that's their approach. Uh, others like uh, Mercedes or Audi, they do differently. They can integrate the LiDAR and sell it. So, well, that's another approach. Uh, they, they're trying. The car is therefore more expensive. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I, I assume the LiDAR are always going to be less expensive. Like they are just getting cheaper and cheaper, I, I assume. Or the technology is getting better and it makes them more expensive. But so I assume it time, will... it's like if you want a LiDAR from 2017, yes, it's going to be cheaper today. <laughs> But because LiDARs evolve so much, uh, now we are talking about FMCW LiDARs. So these are LiDARs can, that use the Doppler effect from the radar. So the radar is like the object that giving you a speed ticket. It measures your velocity directly. And yeah. the LiDAR is integrating this technology to its sensor. So now it not only measures the XYZ, but also VX, VY, and VZ. So it means that we directly have the velocity. And so, well, that costs that the price just doubled. And so now we are getting back to this price, super high end price again, yeah. and trying to decrease until we have then another type of LiDAR, maybe flash LiDARs. And then suddenly again, we have this uh, cost that goes up. A few days, weeks ago, GPT-4 came out. There was also ChatGPT, Stable Diffusion, DALI, all those super cool models that everyone is playing with and hearing about. Um, how much of, of those, not hyped, but like high-end NLP computer vision models are actually used in the self-driving car industry? Um, well, it kind of depends on the type of self-driving car company. If you are having a company like Aurora building, you know, trucks or Tesla, um, they're going to have super advanced Uh, algorithms. Um, yeah. First, they were building CNNs and they were pioneers there. Then they built, for example, for Tesla, they went to building hydronets. So they are neural networks with several heads. Imagine like mm. da, 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 we have heads everywhere and each head is solving one task. So you have a head doing object detection, another head doing uh, segmentation, all of that. And the point is you only have one neural network. So you don't have 50 back propagations to train and you can yep. share the encoders because ultimately the encoders are always the same stuff. You know, you have a ResNet or you have something similar and rather than having 50 ResNet, you have just one and then you change the heads. 
So they've been doing that. And then they went to occupancy networks, like in 2022, which is something where you have a 3D voxel world where you have, you know, 3D cubes. And, and the goal of the algorithms is to use attention, transformers, and everything that is in the GPT networks. They, they're using that and they're telling whether the cube is occupied or free. And then you have, you don't even have object detection anymore. You just have this thing when you have, is it occupied? Is it free? And then you try to drive only in the free space. So that's the super advanced car companies who have tons of funds and research and all of that. And on the other hand, you have the companies doing robotics or doing, um, they are using the autonomous technologies, but they are not driving. And if they have some sort of crash, it's going to be okay. Like if a Roomba goes through your sofa, that's fine. You're okay with it. You accept the risk. It's not, it's not a big risk. And I would say most of the companies in the robotic space are like that. And even some, um, you know, I, I was talking to an, an autonomous golf car company going at very low speed, something like uh, 10 kilometers per hour. That's okay. You know, it's not like 50 or 100. You don't want to hurt anybody, but yeah. the risk is much lower. And in these companies, you don't need to have the super advanced algorithms, all of that. In fact, some companies are operating with very traditional algorithms. They don't even use deep learning. They just have a LIDAR. They have traditional algorithms from the 1980s. They have lots of robustification added to it, lots of sensor fusion, and that's it. And if that happens to crash, where well, that crash, that's too bad, but you just take the robot. If this robot crash, that's fine, okay? And, um, and many companies are working on that. They don't want the problem, but they don't have to invest millions in R&D and all of that to just get the more advanced algorithms. They can just use algorithms and then just work more on the industrialization, the marketing, all of these other aspects as well. Yeah. And they can use these algorithms in the marketing and other aspects. Yeah. Needed. Definitely. Awesome. So we can maybe jump into the break, uh, an idea that, that you've had based on, a, I believe, a French YouTuber or Twitch streamer. And Yeah. So the, the break in general, I think that, that that's cool for us to have a break and to try to ask each other some questions about the space and see whether we agree or disagree. Yeah, perfect. So, some kind of, of debates that we we thought about and we think it may be interesting to see our point of view, even if for myself, I am not an expert. I, I am a PhD student, so I my answers may not be completely applicable. I could very well ask you a question about what you think of PhDs. That, that's going to be interesting. Yeah, yeah, we can. We, yeah, we have basically five questions that we pre-selected, but we can add some if we think of more. So maybe, um, yeah, I can start with one. Do you think aiming for a self-driving car engineer is aiming to be too specialized? Okay. Um, I think not. And the reason is, let's say you spend two years learning the skills related to self-driving cars. Um, you're going to learn some computer vision, some motion planning, all of that. 
And let's say you don't find a job. That's your question, right? What if you don't find a job and then you're too specialized? Yeah. And so, oh no, I cannot do anything. I, I only know how to do this and I don't know how to do anything else. And what's happening is if you learn computer vision for autonomous driving, you can do computer vision for many other things. In fact, yeah. um, I once interviewed for a company who was doing computer vision for shoplifting detection. So unfortunately, I did not get the job because that involved a lot of 3D stuff, you know, 3D deep learning, 3D convolutional neural nets, all of that. But what you did was to learn how to process videos. So you have a, a video, which is just a series of image, and you learn how to feed that to a CNN that's going to classify whether the guy is trying to steal something or if he's legit, all of that. So you classify the action. That's something we learn to do in self-driving cars as well. So if you learn how to do this, you can then jump in computer vision startups. I also had uh, partnerships uh, in a hackathon like two to three, uh, three to four years ago related to healthcare. And we were working with a company doing fracture detection in uh, x-rays. That's just image segmentation. Of course, you're going yeah. to learn that in self-driving cars. And so all of these skills that look super specialized, they are actually widely used. If you learn motion planning, that's like 90% of robotics engineer job doing motion planning. So mm -hmm. if it's not a car, then it's going to be a robot. That's fine. The goal is to get closer to the objective and the most fundamental goal, it's not, I think to me, it's not the car. It's more like you are able to get to work and do something you love and do something that excites you, that you chose, that not that someone forced you into, and that you actually feel great about and feel proud about, and you chose the problem and you say, I'm going to solve this problem. And that's more than enough. It's okay if you don't work at Tesla. It's okay if you don't do all of these things. I did not work at Tesla. That's fine. What's interesting is for you to take your current job and say, is it good enough for me? Is it advanced enough? Me as an engineer, I always want to learn the most advanced stuff. Yeah. A bit like you, I love to read the research papers. I, I used to hate it, but now I don't. Now I just love to read them and to just like understand the technology, write technical content about it. That's something that I feel grateful to be able to do in my job. And when you're not, I think that just doing that is far from like, it, it's way enough. So you don't need to do anything else. Mm. Yeah, I completely agree. In fact, being too specialized is also something that, has, that, that I feared for the PhD because it's like pretty much exactly the goal of a PhD is to specialize yourself in a very specific yeah. topic. And my personal topic is, is uh, uh, basically brain and spinal cord segmentation for multiple sclerosis. So I, I was afraid, like, will I be, um, will I be forced to stay in this exact specific field for the rest of my life if I do a PhD and like stay in healthcare and not like, I love healthcare and that's what I wanted to, to study on and work on for now, but I don't want to be uh, stuck staying in this and not, and closing any opportunities. Until mm -hmm. I spoke to many people and realized that, as you said, I'm doing segmentations, I'm using state-of-the-art models, implementing state-of-the-art models, reading state-of-the-art research, and just basically 
keeping up to date with like the most recent computer vision stuff, especially in 3D. And so it's all super relevant to a lot of industries. And I'm just learning, like improving my Python skills, my, my uh, basically machine learning skills. So it's like definitely relevant. And as, uh, as, as you said, as long as you like it and you learn, there's no downside. Like it's, it's just fun in your case, and you improve. If you just happen to be sick of finding multiple sclerosis on images, you can always go a bit larger to the general medical field and then you can change field. The yeah. only thing is that every time you want to change field, you need to um, learn some more stuff about the field. So yeah. I could join the medical field, but I'm not a doctor and I don't know anything about healthcare. So I would just need to spend some time learning it. That's like perfectly fine. But if you learn how to adapt to them, then they're going to learn to take you in their team. And I, I would say that the downside is far inferior to the benefit because what happens if you are a super specialized engineer and some companies are ready to pay you super high because you are specialized? Take, take you versus just an engineer who happens to learn about segmentation. What's the difference for a healthcare company if they have you who knows a lot about healthcare and a lot about image segmentation and who even apply that in very specific problems so you understand the challenges, all of that, versus someone who tried lots of things and segmentation happens to be a part of this. Yeah. You know, that's totally different. Specialized, uh, specialists are paid much more and they are desired much more. Yeah. Okay, my turn. Um, you talk a lot about transformers, right? And uh, you do a lot of research paper study and, and you've been through like following the evolution of the field. And my question to you is, do you think, one, do you think transformers are replacing CNNs? And if yes, do you think it's an urge for engineer to just go and learn transformers as quickly as they should? Um, I have a bit too, uh, I have two answers to that question. I, first, I think that they are not replacing CNNs for everything. Just, it may be biased because I've done my whole master's degree on CNNs and okay. now I'm still also working with CNNs. So like the, the recent state of the art in, in medical imaging is still UNET. So like that's, that's pretty old and well, it's modified UNET, but Definitely. still like you. UNET is, is very powerful and super efficient. And I think when you don't have like as many data as you want and as many compute as you want, there's a place, it's the place for CNN. I think there, there is a place for both, but I, I agree that I mainly, like on YouTube, I mainly talk about transformers and that's because it's like recent in every field and they, they are being applied to to different tasks that were they were not applied before, and they also are becoming much more uh, compute friendly. So maybe maybe it's the future, but I couldn't say. Maybe CNNs will will just improve as well. And yeah, yeah, I, I think there's a place for both. Definitely, right now there's a place for both. And when you're looking at I, Yolo V8, um, I don't think there are transformers in it. I haven't been really been through the paper, but I think it's mostly convolutions. So 
and that's the state of the art. Yeah, I, I haven't seen the recent. It's crazy that they are at Yolo V8, <laughs> but yeah. I I haven't seen this this. Uh, what, is it the most recent one for Yolo? Yes, yes. It, for for yeah. anyone listening that is not familiar, Yolo is I believe you only look once, and it's like it it has been a state of the art uh, detection algorithm for well since detection. the first Yolo version. I don't know when two thousand. Yeah, to, to 2015, something yeah, around that. A while ago. So we, we had two stage detectors back then, uh, and then we moved to one stage. And so YOLO is the perfect trade-off between speed and accuracy, usually. Yeah. yeah, perfect. So third question, since we already spoke about um, salary and, and specialty, paying more, do you think $200,000 computer vision engineer salary is a myth or is it real? For most people, it's a myth. And for me, it has been as well. Uh, I have been hired. I, ha I had a job offer at 30K, okay, yeah. in uh, self-driving car space. That's something most people don't even imagine is possible. But in reality, that's what a lot of people who try to get into self-driving car space, they're going to get normal job offers with normal salaries, especially when they're starting their careers. They're going to go like, okay, so the average salary for someone who gets out of school is 40. We give you 40. And maybe if you're a bit better, we give you 41, but that's it. And when you're looking at salaries, and I also sometimes promote and, and show job offers to people because there are salaries that are incredibly high. And in many cases, well, it happens that these salaries, uh, they do exist. But it depends on the country. It depends on the specific moment. Yeah. Uh, if you've been a solidity engineer working on uh, blockchain and all of that in 2017, that wasn't paying much. And then suddenly in uh, 2021, 2022, it became, super, it became a hype. And so we've seen articles talking about solidity engineers making way over 100K per year. And that's probably... True, like I assume that's true, but there are countries like the United States where it very much depends on where the industry is currently at and where there is the most need right now. But generally, don't try to have something like steady and, and a bit slow at first, at least. Like be okay with making the same salary at first. As long as it's not an insult or something, that's yeah. going to be fine. And then, of course, you learn to build more specialized skills, more advanced skills. Uh, these are the things I teach, like um, how to build super advanced skills. People who come to me, they usually come to me with um, basic AI and computer vision skills. So I don't teach them the beginner stuff. I don't teach them uh, how to build an image classification algorithm. I assume that most people that come to me, they already know this. And so I'm here to take them to the most advanced part. Like, how do you build a hydronet? How do you build a transformer network for image segmentation? How do you build a 3D reconstruction system with several cameras? These are the type of stuff I teach. And I believe that these skills are specialized and advanced and are in need by companies, not just today, but they are in need in general. And so, yes, they're going to pay better. Maybe not 200, maybe 100, 
but that's going to be anyway better than the salary you'd get if you don't if you just stay with the basic skills yeah but so you you would say that it's mainly because of hype if you get a very high salary hype helps um then there is like of obviously your skills the more specialized yeah. you are the more you risk having a very high salary and yeah. um and and also it depends also on the network there, there are so many factors to a salary just the fact that you can brand yourself better can change yeah, $10,000 on your salary it really can i've seen I've seen people changing salaries with one negotiation. You know, people will spend a lot of time cutting back on some free or $5 fees. They're going to cancel their Netflix subscription. They're going to do stuff like that. And ultimately at the end of the month, maybe they will save 40 or 50 bucks, but they won't spend time learning how to make $5,000 raise on their salary. You know, even with the free yeah. tips, all of that, they won't, do that they prefer to cut back rather than to make more and i believe it's it's a better option to learn and try to make more because in a negotiation i, I was once offered 55 and i said hey no i want 60 and they told me okay we can do that and that was it i was like shocked i was like really you're not gonna fight you're not gonna tell me it's not possible and they said no no we want you there that that's it so you know that that can happen yeah. that exists that just like People are not, don't think it, it's possible, but in reality, I think it, it is if you practice it. I had a lot of, like, I'm telling you the nice stories, but I had a lot of time where I'm telling them a salary and the people are like, get out of here. You know, like the, this guy from the Slack I talked about, I asked him for 60 and it was the first job I ever did. I asked for $60,000 per year and the average output was like 40. And so he told me like, get out of here. Like, we don't want that here. <laughs> We're working with serious people. So sometimes <laughs> it's not going to work, but sometimes it will. Yeah. But anyways, if you are asking just a little bit more, you are not risking this, this like get out um, sentence. Like it, it basically, they basically will, if, if they want you, well, if they are at the point of asking you, how much do you want? It's because they want you most certainly. And, and so, To me, well, the worst I've seen is that they will say, oh, we cannot do that, but we can instead add one week of vacation or or just yeah. do a bit lower. Exactly. Like they will try to negotiate this. It's not like you, you ask for 60,000 and or else it's no job. Have you read the book, Never Split the Difference? Yeah. <laughs> so basically you, you can see how much uh, we can use leverage and change the way the negotiation yeah. works. Uh, with that um when you learn to negotiate you can do that yes yeah it's definitely worth it for anyone listening the never split the difference i don't remember the name of the author Chris Voss. perfect so you you should read that if you if you haven't yeah from And like fbi negotiator yeah i really love that i think everybody loves yeah, that super movie. interesting it's impossible not to like it yeah 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 i agree it's like crazy stories and just really useful tips on my end i'm i've always lived like i don't really want to argue and negotiate i just like let it be and i'm a bit more calm yeah but people are going to take advantage of you and you're going to decrease your value as well because if you accept everything then people are going to think that you're not worth that much after all 
And so that's just not going to be good for either parts. Yeah, I agree. And the book is also just great in general to like ex express yourself better. And like, even if in a relationship or in your job, just like how to better phrase what you want and what you need without hurting others or like not manipulating well a bit, but just like improving your relationships basically it's it's just a really good book and super useful mm -hmm. um was it my time my, my turn okay uh, my or, turn um my take on online courses i sell online courses for a living that's what i do i sell online courses but i never sell online course certificates because one most companies around the world they don't know me and they don't care if you've been through a think autonomous course and two most companies around the world don't really care anymore if you've been through course certificates, especially after COVID, because um, now everybody has a course certificate. And I think it's worthless. Like, I think you should not even show it. It can even, like, damage your brand. What do you think <laughs> of that? Um, I'm also, well, we are also building courses at, at Towards the Eye. So I'm kind of doing that for a living as well. So it's a... We are a bit biased, but I we also don't have certifications. I I don't know. I'm I'm a bit too sided on that as well. I think it's useless as well for most. Like I don't really care if if someone has a I don't know Coursera certification or Udemy or something like this. But is it worthwhile if if you have a Google certification? Like especially for example, if you want to work at Google and you've done some. I don't even know if Google has courses. That may not be a good example. Okay, NVIDIA has some courses. So if you want to work at NVIDIA, do you think it is worth to have NVIDIA certifications and that you showing that you've done the, their courses? And before you answer, it's basically because um, in an interview I, I did a few weeks ago, someone said that certifications may be useful just because it's an it's a very easy way to showcase and prove that you learned something. So about the NVIDIA, if you want to go to NVIDIA and they have stuff where they sell certificates or they this is free or whatever, yes, in this case, you want to show you're invested in the company and that you already handle the skills that they are looking for. Maybe it can be a good thing. In general, I recommend to show what you did with portfolio projects. So that's something I've been teaching a lot. And every one of my courses has at the end a portfolio project. So for example, rather than saying, I have a course certificate from an online course and I have been building a self-driving car. Why don't you just come to the interview with that and you know, connect it to your smartphone and then you say, hey, let's see how it drives. And that just tells the whole story. Of course, it's course. much harder to do. Would you recommend but, going for um, a master's, PhD? That tells like what's, a much better story. What, what recruiters want is a story. They want to else, uh, see you like doing this, and then they are going needed. to be amazed that like, did you see what this guy just did? And then they're going to remember that, and they're going to tell the story to others, and that's much better. And you, in fact, um, in one of my interviews with an, an engineer from my courses who got a job as an autonomous tractor engineer, he actually showed me the robot and said, yeah, this is how I got the job. I brought the robot. It barely worked, but they were so amazed by the investment I made in myself in the 
in the energy to build it and, and all of that, that it just spoke for itself. I did not need to show anything else. And yeah, yeah it it's, it's directly showcases your passion and how, like, like how you're willing to work a bit more than others just because you love it. Yeah, and that's also visual proof of that. That's demonstration plus visual proof. So doing a demonstration is always something you want to do. Like if I had an interview tomorrow, I would just build a, a set of projects I did, uh, bring an iPad and just show the different videos one after the other and say, hey, I've built this, I've built this, I've built this. And then I, I let the other ask me questions because this way I lead the interview. I show them stuff and they ask me stuff about what I did. So I'm in charge of how the interview is going to go versus just talking randomly about a course. And then they can just ask me whatever question they want. And now I have to be in their space. You know, that's much different. Yeah, I've done many interviews because we had to do uh, three internships in my engineering degree. And during the first summer, I spent the summer creating like a, a very bad uh, mobile app game. It was like a social game. I, I did that on iPhone, uh, iOS, iOS and, and Android. And then for all subsequent interviews, I always just like the, the interviewer would start seeing my project section and just like they, they've either installed the, the app or talked about this. And then the whole 30 minutes just talking about the interview and uh, the, the, the app and how I built it and why. And like just talking about the app, even yeah. though the, the internship wasn't related at all to like Swift coding or whatever I did to, to build the app. It, we just spoke about this and then they wanted me just, just because, they, because they said I did something other than just going to my courses. Because recruiters don't want to hear you recite your resume in real person. You know, that that's not what they want. They already saw your resume. They already know your skills. That's why you're here. What they want is to hear your story. And like, this is not some book, like sentence I'm giving, like share your story, all of that. Uh, you can actually really take storytelling courses and learn how to tell a better story. You can actually like, I, I read a book called Story uh, that teaches how to write a screenplay for Hollywood. I'm never, I'm probably never gonna use that, but I learned how to build characters, how to, you know, make transitions of characters, all of that. And ultimately that's better than when you're talking about uh, your story. When they tell me, tell me about yourself, what do they want to hear? Do they want to hear like, okay, so first I started there and then I went there and there. no, they want a story with drama, with all of that. They want to ask you questions about, oh my God, and what did you do? You, you know, that that's what they are looking for. And so when you're doing this, they get to feel that uh, they can be part of your story and they can participate in it and all of that. But when you're just reciting the facts, that's cold. That's not really nice to them. That's like they have to do this interview and that's it. And when you are sharing a story, ultimately, like the entire thing is better. They loved it. They remember it. They own it. They can then retell it to others. So that's like, that's what you should do. Definitely. Yeah, I completely agree. Okay, so let's dive into the last um, question slash debate that, that we can have. That is maybe the last blocker that someone may have if, 
if the if he wants to to go into self driving, and it's about the log- Well, I have been able to walk in France, so no, but I have lots of people coming to me with questions about India, for example. Mm. And because in the US, you can always find a company nearby and somehow people in the US are okay to travel and change their life completely because of a job. In France, we don't have that culture really, really much, but in the US, that's a thing. And in India, that's another problem because we have more engineers than companies or even capabilities to recruit on all of that. And so the engineers are like, should we go to the US, try and get a green card and do all of that? Or can we just stay home and try to find self-driving car companies? And the answer, to, I think, after like talking to lots of engineers from India, and I'm saying India, but that can be lots of other countries where there are not a lot of self-driving car companies. Um, I have seen people in my audience, in my courses, being hired in India as self-driving car engineers. That happens. That's possible. They did it. I saw it with my eyes. These people are alive. They exist. So they are, and they are more than you can imagine. And then there are other people who just go to the other route and then they just travel to Germany, to Europe, to the US. And that works as well for them uh, because if they go to Germany, they're going to easily find a job, especially if they're Indians because everybody wants to hire them. And so that's much easier for them. And, uh, And worst case scenario, they really want to stay home. Either they find one of these companies or they go to the plan B, which is a related job in the robotic space, in the computer vision space. And that's also fantastic. Come on, that's also a great job. Uh, you can have a lot of impact and then you can change when the field evolves a bit. You know, that's that's how I see Creating it. Some. And as you said, you may as well work on the exact same problem, even if it's a completely exactly. different Exactly, that may be the exact same problem. And then it's your job to market it to yourself as if it was as exciting, but it's but in yeah. case it can be more exciting. Uh, if you work on finding cancers in images, that can be more exciting than building cars, actually, you know? Mm. Yeah, it really depends on how you see it. So perfect. So we we hope you enjoy this, like try to maybe debunk some thoughts or just let, let us know what you think of all those. I think we had five different questions, like if well, first, if one of you is paid actually more than $200,000, let us know. We may be interested. So, yeah. <laughs> anyways. Or even again, 150 all of these salaries. Maybe not 100 because 100 is becoming more and more common. But 150, 200, that's a high-end salary, I say. Yeah. Yeah. I think so, too. Well, I'm far from that at the, at the PhD. But I, from what I've heard, I think, that's yeah, especially in, yeah, it's, it will happen. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. <laughs> but um, yeah, from, from what I've seen, $100,000 is is not the norm, but like it's not especially high in data science. In the US, it's no longer something crazy. In France, of course, it's like we're still at the 40 thing, but you can have people earning more and more like 80, 90 after like 
five, six years, that's going to happen eventually. Yeah, I think it's the same here in Montreal. Like it's getting higher, but it's much lower than the US. So mm. I assume a good option maybe to work remotely from the for the US if you can. If you if you aim oh, if you are aiming right. for a better yeah, salary. That's good. <laughs> that's ideal. So yeah, if we can maybe come back a bit to the self-driving car engineering world and more precisely, I, I we haven't really we, we talked about your story, but I haven't Uh, we haven't dove into what should be not a, maybe a typical or like an ideal resume that is required to get into the field. Like, for example, would you recommend going to the university slash or, or I would say don't do anything under a master's degree for the self-driving car space. And, and of course, companies are going to, to say that I'm full of shit because they hire just everybody and anybody and all of that. Yeah. But it, I think it's not, not in my experience, actually. Most people are master's degree, like 80% of them. Then the rest are PhDs. And in some companies, I once had an interview Interview goes well. I'm going to the building. I'm talking to them about uh, technical stuff that I want to do, what I want to do in my life in general. You know, I'm sharing the story, all of that. And the recruiter, after two hours of interview, he says, okay, we love your profile. I want to hire you. We agree on the salary, basically. It wasn't a crazy salary. We, we agree on it. We're fine. Now, yep. there is just one problem. And we told you we don't want to... Uh, we, we don't need PhDs. We said it on the paper. We told you, but the reality is that if you don't do a PhD, you're going to eventually have a ceiling inside the company. So I was like, okay, you just said I did not need to do it and you are ready to hire me. So now I got to go to a PhD. And they said, no, we can finance it. And we have you working in the company And you are doing your PhD in parallel and, and we help you with that. We cover everything, the expenses, the conference, everything. We pay for it and then we just, but, but you need to do the PhD. Otherwise, well, you're not going to evolve and we're not sure we want to hire someone who doesn't want to evolve. And now you're trapped because you're like, yeah. okay, so it's kind of mandatory, right? Uh, because I'm not going to promote myself as someone who doesn't want to evolve. And of course, I'm not going to change the entire company's policy. So ultimately, I said no, because uh, I did not want to go through the PhD route. But in lots of cases, you can have companies preaching that they don't hire, they don't need a master's degree, they don't need a PhD. The truth is lots of companies still do. And the other truth is, Most companies don't find enough PhD. And so what they hire is master's degree at 80%. Okay. And I've been at a company and we had 80% master's degree, then a few PhDs. And usually you have the PhDs leading on some technical aspects and you have the master's degree being able to go faster to the management roles. So you have like sometimes like master's degree giving orders to PhDs, 
So that that's like everything can happen. Or you can have PhDs being team lead, and that can happen as well. But the problem is that a PhD is going to um, sometimes get inside is a bubble and not being able to, you know, talk to people, vulgarize some stuff, do some marketing, and that can also do some damage. Uh, so about the resume, or new I fields, say any try to have advanced to skills. Don't worry too much about the diploma. If you have a diploma, you have a master's degree, focus more on sharing a story, giving some uh, projects. Your resume doesn't have to be just a one-page uh, technical thing with all your work. It can be one page. It should be one page, but put links there, okay? People are going to click. They know how to click links. They're going to click. They're going to end up on your GitHub website. They're going to see videos. And all the job is being done at this moment, not when they are reading stuff and you're trying to emphasize some stuff in bold. You know, you can actually do all of that, like share links. I have done that and that works very well. So you would advertise to share something online. Like when you are creating a project, try to work on a project that can be pushed online or like at least in, in the form of a video or blog post or something that they can see by, as you said, clicking links. Things can change. But in my case, I always had the job offers because they saw, sometimes they saw a blog post and they say, hey, we want to talk to you about joining us. And Now, they are selling you the idea of coming and you don't have to pitch them. They are coming to you and that happens. And yeah, and sometimes, you know, just because of that one blog post that they really needed at that moment, that's going to work. You know, they're going to, to, to like negotiate more easily with you. Uh, that's going to get better. So having such projects would be more important than getting more education. You think? Yes, definitely. Projects, the ability to solve projects, uh, that shows everything. They don't really need... Sometimes they're going to say, hey, you don't have the PhD or the master's degree, but you know we still love your profile. So that happens more often than you think that you don't have... Sometimes you don't have most of the qualifications, but they still love you anyway. And so they're going to... So I once had an interview. I know I said that a lot, but I spent like 15 interviews. So now I have stories to tell. I once had an interview. I failed a technical test and they said they wanted to hire me anyway because of the profile and the, the work that I've done with my, I had a nonprofit community on artificial intelligence back then. All of that, they said, yeah, you know, that's okay for the test. We're going to change the number or whatever. We're going to still make you pass through the second phase. So that can happen if you have a great story and if you can pitch people. people these are not robots, these are people. So they, they have emotions, they react, like they can like you even if you're not good, you know? Yeah, definitely. It's also a lot of a personality fit. So definitely. Yes. And how would you recommend to both improve your career or like, I, I assume it, it's by building projects, but how would you recommend someone that has done studies or not, but has learned like either online courses or studies and then wants to improve their skills or work on products, progress and or just progress. Like what would you recommend them to do? How to get started in learning more? And Well, definitely if you already have some basic skills and you're interested in a self-driving car space, I have like Think Autonomous. So 
what I do basically, you have a free, I hate to call it that way, but that's how it is, a newsletter. Uh, I have a free email list with private emails. I prefer to market it this way, but that's really what it is. These are emails that I would never share these on LinkedIn or anywhere else. You know, people would just react too negatively to it. It's anti-corporate. There's a lot of stuff going on, but these emails, for some people, they actually change life for real. Like some people answered me, you know, I've used this tip in your email from last week and I got the job. And that you start there. I have a newsletter, free daily emails on self-driving cars, and I'm spending sometimes three hours per day on it. Most of the time it's like one hour. So I'm investing a lot of time in them for you and they are free. I don't expect you to do anything in return. You can just stay for three years and read them. Then of course, I'm going to sell you some of my advanced courses as well. I have a lot of courses. Uh, I have a course that is worth $20 and it's a roadmap to the self-driving car engineer world. And this course, some people told me like, I invested the $20 and really, I don't know what I have been doing for a year, an entire year, just going around through Coursera and through all of these and just going back and forth and not finding anything clear. And that is clear. That is concrete. You know, this, uh, there is the mind map. It explains you exactly what you should do based on where you are right now. Like that is something you should do. And then you go to build advanced skills. I have courses on everything. I have 3D computer vision, uh, 3D deep learning on LiDAR point clouds. I have tons of courses. And yeah, definitely that's, for me, that's the solution I would have wanted to have. And that's the solution I'm building. And I'm spending all my time and money on it because I highly believe that it's going to make a lot of engineers' life much better. Yeah, it's really cool. And I, I, I've seen your website and also related to, we talked about uh, ChatGPT and the, the prevalence of Yes, so what I have, it's not currently, because that can change, but currently it's not a course, it's a DLC. So a DLC, it's an idea I took from the video game industry, and that's basically, you have the main video game, okay? So I'm an Assassin's Creed guy, so you purchase Assassin's Creed, and you play in, the, in ancient Greece or something, and when you're done, they're telling you that for $15, you can have another a chapter, a bonus chapter. And so I did this with Think Autonomous because in the case of transformer networks, it requires lots of prerequisites, right? It's not something anybody just can learn like that. So if you go through my segmentation course, it's going to teach you everything about the modern deep learning architectures uh, for segmentation. So segmentation is the use case, but mainly it's a modern deep learning course where you learn about CNNs, encoder decoders, Lots of blocks in the um, CNN space, you know, the deep learning blocks like um, residual block, all of these other blocks, you have tons of blocks. And when you're done with this, and when you can build the most advanced CNN project, then you go to Transformers with my course on Secformers. And this is a course where you can, uh, that is only open to those who have these skills. So who have been through the course or who can solve a challenge. And if it's your case, then you can learn about transformers. And yes, that's like advanced. We learn about attention. And you know what? It's the only course, I built this course because 
when I was trying to learn about transformers, I could not learn about them. Any blog post, any video, anything, it was oriented to natural language processing people. So all the examples, all of that, that just NLP everywhere. They show you strings of characters and how the transformers do translations, all of that. And it's just not working with my brain because I'm a computer vision guy. So I want to see images. I want to see how the networks learn with the filters. I want to see things. And I was not finding it anywhere. So I built a course of transformer networks for computer vision engineers. And so what we learn is attention and we visualize attention map. We visualize query key and values in real, in live, when it's training, when it's running, we see these maps and we see, okay, if we multiply this patch by this patch, it's going to be a tree times a road. And so all the trees and the road are suddenly going to have their attention lightning. And we really see that and we understand it very well because of this. It's probably one of the course I'm the most proud of. So yeah. Yeah, that's that must be an awesome way to also get your, your foot in the the, the self-driving um, door just because it's, as you mentioned, you need to have a computer vision background or like, yeah, basic skills at least. And then you can dive in your Think Autonomous resource, more advanced resources. And yeah. so that's definitely a great way to, to get into the field. But would you have any other tips or mistakes to avoid when trying to join this field or maybe generalize to any new field in, in AI, but so something to do is to definitely keep up with the field, how the field is moving. Um, if suddenly everybody's talking about transformers, well, I know it's hard to learn about them. I spent like, it started in 2017. I was like, yeah, no, I don't want to learn this. And then <laughs> the next year, same thing. And then I, uh, I yeah. postponed and postponed and postponed. And at some point I could not postpone anymore because lo look at chat GPT and all of these things, they're just transformers. And we could not do that with CNNs. So if you see something like that happening, um, yeah, don't, don't try to miss that train because maybe all the best jobs are going to be about it. It doesn't mean you won't have jobs because 99% of companies are still working on CNNs, but transitions happen and people are sometimes looking for some skills and it impresses a lot uh, companies when you can do some stuff like that. They, they really love it. So that's yeah. something that they will want to see as well. Any mistakes to avoid? when trying to join a new field like self-driving um, that you can think of? That, that's difficult. There are lots of mistakes you can do. Um, What's the biggest you've done, if you, if you remember? Um, I would say... Technically speaking, it's important to also don't neglect too much of the other stuff. So, um, <clears throat> for example, I'm horrible at everything mechanic. So, uh, 
I built this robot, but it was written something like one or two hours on the, on the box. And it took me like 50 hours. Okay. So that's how bad I am at this. And when you're working in a self-driving car startup, they sometimes expect you to change a tire or something. And I cannot do that as well. So uh, what I'm trying to say is that there are lots of other skills that maybe don't get enough promotion, but that should be considered that as well. Um, being a great developer, uh, learning how to solve problems, uh, you know, anything related to Bazel, to build environments, to Docker, all of these, um, you know, they are like stuff people don't learn. They either learn it because they have to at some point or they never learn it. And I say it's important to understand that a lot of these things are going to just be adopted sometimes 100% by companies. Um, in my case, we once tested the Apollo software. That's a software that a company in China built for autonomous driving. And what they say is that if you have these sensors and this computer and the cars, uh, you know, exactly, you, you put the camera at this exact location and all of that, and you do the wiring the way we say it, you just download our software and then you have an autonomous car. And the, we, we tested this thing and it was really good. And the risk was that we adopted this completely. And if that was the case, I would not have continued working there because it involved too much stuff that I didn't know how to do. Um, mm. every, so everything related to uh, advanced Linux, Bazel, Docker, uh, Kubernetes, all of that, um, that, that sometimes you're going to feel like you don't, like, why are these people talking about it? We don't really care. But for a lot of companies, the architecture is important. They're going to spend yeah. months on the architecture. And so uh, thinking about it, all of that. So, yeah, I, I would say don't neglect that too much and, um, and don't stop at too basic stuff in your skills because today everybody can do object detection. Think about your, your manager who has never coded. He knows how to clone a GitHub repo and run an object detector. I've seen it. Like yeah. my job was doing object detection. And then the manager came and he said, hey, I just installed it and it works. And I was like, <laughs> so what's my point here? I, I'm, I'm no longer useful. And so, yeah, if you want to be useful, you need to have more advanced skills and yeah. skills that are complementary and all of this, everything we discussed. So when building a project, it will also be a good idea to work on a very like complete project that involves all the steps into, for example, building a machine learning, <coughs> sorry, a machine learning based model, then testing it and then deploying it online and host it somewhere, create a little uh, front end for a web app or something like it's, it's good to learn a bit about all the different components like Docker and everything, as you mentioned, I assume this, so, this might be ideal. I'm not a big fan of like the giant project because myself, it's very hard for me to do them. But for example, at Think Autonomous, I have a course on neural optimization. And that's something where you take a pre-trained network for image segmentation, for example, and it works, but it runs at five frame per second. 
and then you learn to do the quantization, the optimization yeah. of the neural network, you know, knowledge distillation, all of that. And ultimately, your network is twice or 10 times faster. Mm. And, and, you know, you, you, you don't do anything else than learning just the optimization part. And that's what the course teaches. And it has amazing results. And what you can do is something similar. You want to learn about web apps, take everything pre-trained, don't spend more than an hour just setting up everything, and then focus only on the web app side. And the yeah. rest, it doesn't matter. Even if it's just a grayscale imaging stuff that just change you into grayscale, that's fine. It doesn't matter as long as you learn how to do the other stuff very well. Mm. And just focus on one thing and then just move from one thing to the other and do abstract all the rest as libraries you call, um, black boxes you use, all of that. Yeah, really good tip, I think. And so I will have, th this will be the last segment of this interview. Okay. And it's basically, I told my community on Discord and, and YouTube that I was doing this interview with someone in the self-driving car industry. And so they had some questions that, that uh, they wanted me to ask. And one of which is, is a bit more technical and the others are like just to have your thoughts on, on the future, basically. And so the first one, which is more technical that I will read because my memory is pretty bad, is um, what methods are used for the, for the actual driving part? For example, is it based on reinforcement learning or is it, as you mentioned earlier, still classical planning algorithms uh, and control and what what type of algorithms is it used i i will just uh, repeat okay. it for the actual so, driving part if you take for example a course online from 2017 or 2018 they're all going to teach the same thing which is that self-driving cars have mainly four or five steps which will be perception so you see the world uh, localization, you localize yourself in this world. Planning, so you know where you are and what the world is, so you're just going to plan a destination. And control, so it's very modular. You have this full stuff and you move from one to the other. And uh, so data passes from perception to control. Yeah, That's one way of building a self-driving car. The others that raised recently are end-to-end. -end. So end-to-end -end means you send all your data to one neural net and it outputs the driving steering angle and the acceleration directly. That's it. So you have one network for the whole thing. Of course, like it's not just one network. Sometimes you have some micro other algorithms running, but that's the main idea. You have one network that is optimized for driving based on all the inputs. So the inputs can be LiDAR point clouds coupled with images, coupled with radio, radar signals, all of that. And then you have something related to reinforcement learning where you're trying to optimize a policy for driving. And that's a bit often related to end-to-end -end driving as well. So you're teaching a car how to drive better based on experiences and examples and all of that. And so for that, Check what Wave is doing. Uh, that's a company in London. And, um, and they are building reinforcement learning cars. And you have a video called Learn to Drive in One Day. Uh, it's very old, but you can see what they did back then is that they have a small car and they just 
every time it drives and then every time it goes off-road, they correct it. And so it goes back, it drives again, goes off-road, correct it. And in the end, it can do the lap entirely. And so today they are much more advanced than that. They have transformers, they have epistemic uncertainty. So it's something where the neural network can tell how uncertain it is in some predictions. And so it can also counter this. And there are so much going on, but yeah, you usually have these two things like modular versus end-to-end slash reinforcement learning based. But still using very new algorithms, not like they are not sticking to the 80s and 90s classical. It depends on the, it depends on the specific condition the car is set to, but Okay. Usually, if it's a car driving and if it's it fit raised millions and all of that, yeah, that's going to be like that. So the progress isn't only hype. <laughs> yeah, it's actually it's used real progress that they are making, and the occupancy network from Tesla has been uploaded in the autopilots. You know, that's like it's not just an algorithm they show for yeah. zero. It's really what like they updated the algorithm of hundreds of thousands of users. Yeah, that's really cool. It's, it's crazy that they can do that live to actual people. Yeah, that's, that's, that's sick. <laughs> OTA, yeah. that, that, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, so the second question is about the future a little bit. Specifically, okay. the question was, um, what will be the future of self-driving cars? But maybe I can turn that into the question that we all hate, which is, um, could you make like your... Okay. Um, you can so also do it for... <laughs> it's going to be wrong, but basically <laughs> what I see... We never know. Right now, it's tough. It's like the present 2023 is possibly the worst moment of self-driving cars because of the hype cycle. We had a big yeah. hype in 2017. We've reached the peak. And now we are basically at the lowest point possible in autonomous driving. So uh, I'm referring to the Gartner hype cycle for those listening. And so basically um, we are in a space where it's very hard. I said that Zooks had 1,426 jobs opened last year. I just checked their website and it's like 350 now. Okay, so divided by four. So the number of people hiring, you know, just tons of hundreds of people, that's not going to happen. But in any of the tech industry, you know, that's like people are raising less funds. They want profitability. And it turns out that swap driving cars are not profitable. They invested billions in them. And right now they are not making money because they are doing free rides and they are not taking passengers for paid. And most of the companies are, don't have authorization. That's just research and development. So right now it's going to be tough. For engineers, it's not going to be tough. If they get hired, it can be the best years for them because that's also the moment where all the evolutions happen and where all the best improvements to the car happen and everything happens very well. So if you're not in the space and you want to get in, it might be a bit harder right now. Um, hopefully, I'm hoping to make it easier for you. And if you are in the space, it's going to be okay, but you have the risk of the company dying. And yeah. five years, we expect to have 
like no I, I would not expect to have an autonomous car world in five years you know five years from now i don't see like all these cars suddenly autonomous because that's going to be a very gradual transition mm-hmm. uh we saw mercedes-benz like now i saw yesterday an ad on tv that said we are the first to introduce the level three autonomous vehicle and i was like what and so they, they showed a car and they said now our cars are autonomous at level three and so okay that's they, they say they can do it and they sell it so that's okay um but that's going to be like that in the adas side so you know advanced driver assistance that's going to be very slow features yeah. after features the field is going to improve like that uh one day they can just steer then they can continue like they can break then they can uh change lanes then they can take roundabouts incrementally just like tesla has been doing mm. and then on the shuttle side uh, the cruise passenger robo taxi that's a much harder question to answer it's going to happen like i predict a lot of companies will die right now uh, in the self-driving car space because they have just hired too much and that's just too too much cost and if they lose their main fund like Argo did late 2022, the risk of dying. And that can happen even to companies like Waymo or you know, the big major companies. Nobody's really safe from dying in this space because there's so many money that has been lost. And on the other hand, it's going to give room to new attempts, new solutions, uh, something different. And so we can have also new companies launching almost overnight with different challenges, and that can not change the entire world, but maybe one city after the other. I think the robotaxi part is going to happen one city after the other in general. Uh, there are lots of places where 30 years from now, there still won't be self-driving cars. I'm sure of that. Like many places where people today, they barely can drive. It's not going to be autonomous suddenly. You know, it's like still going to take a lot of time. Most countries still have manual cars and not automatic cars you know that's that's a big thing yeah yeah and well on my end i'm a bit pessimistic about what i'm about to say but what do you think will happen for the government part like the permissions and and just the not ethical Mm -hmm. but like um all all that can happen just the, the laws the Everything related to the, the government, do, we th- do you think this will be a big block? That can be a political issue for a lot. You know, uh, we can have in, in the US, uh, we have presidency on the left and we have the Silicon Valley on the left. Uh, we can expect that they're not going to shut down stuff like that and just ban everybody. Like permission in the US to drive. I, don't, I wouldn't say it's easy. I know nothing about that. But from what I read, it's like the testing and all of that, that's easier than in most countries. So that's like something where they, they tend to give trust. And, um, and in other countries, the governments, they, it depends on how the guys think about, think about what the guys think about the self-driving cars and the, the Senate and all of that were like, what do they think? Like, usually they want to be pro-technology, but they don't want to make mistakes with people's lives as well. And 
I, I would say they would need to build better systems for us as passengers to trust self-driving cars. Currently, in the US and even in Europe, it's probably not enough what we do to say that a car is allowed to drive autonomously. And uh, maybe there has to be some work done around that before we can then say that um, we can drive autonomously and we can scale from one city to the other, all of that. And there are tons of companies in lots of places as well where they're just driving. Everybody's accepting and they drive and drive and drive and drive. And sometimes there are accidents that happens and then they continue driving and eventually, hopefully, that strategy will help them saying that they lost a few, a bit of money. Maybe they had some car crashes that unfortunately caused people's death. But overall, that, that's how they think, I think. Overall, we're going to save millions of car crash every day happening because that's what's happening today. Like millions of car crash are happening as we speak. Maybe not millions, but you, you get my point. There are car crashes. And those who are anti-self-driving cars, they don't want self-driving cars, but they don't want to accept that there is a problem with people's lives being gone suddenly because someone was on the phone and did not, you know, even I think the driver assistance that can break auto autonomously when there is a passenger or something, that's like every car should have this today. Like, why don't we all have this today and made it mandatory because we cannot accept so many crashes and this system for now are very reliable. Mm. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And do you think uh, engineers that are building this self-driving car and these that are working in this industry should think of these? <clears throat> Just the public, like, do they need to get their hands dirty on those ethical questions and as an engineer, you have a responsibility in general when you're building something to making it safe. Um, you, you never want, like, I don't know how it was for you, but when I got my diploma, they made me read some, some texts about a sermon. Uh, I don't even remember it, but I, it meant something to me at the moment I read it. I was like super convinced that I would not do harm to the world. And in general, that's what you want that's what you expect from an engineer to try and do the best. Um, but we also need others who know better to tell us um, what we should not do. And especially with AI, um, the, the rise of AI we've seen recently, we need people just maybe to think about this and the societal impact and all of that. Because the engineers, we, we have a problem is that if we can build something, we're going to build it, even if we should not do it. You know, they, they're, they're really going to build the Terminators. They, they will because, they, because that's maybe a possibility. You know, that's like, the, the, we want to see how far we are able technically to go. So we never want the bad aspects, but we just, you know, we are all Peter Creeps. And if we, there is something we can do, we're going to try and do it. And so, yeah, it needs to be a collective problem not just like the engineers thinking about some stuff and then telling the world, okay, that's what we do. 
there is not enough communication, definitely. Yeah, that's also something to highlight from this interview, as you showed us that it's a very self-driving in general is a very, very difficult problem involving basically everyone. <laughs> it's just yeah. like so complex and you need everything, the communication, you mean you, you need lawyers, engineers, you just need everything. So it definitely makes sense that it's like one of the maybe the most complicated problem i'm not sure but definitely a hard one that is quite impossible to make predictions so we we forgive you for that <laughs> and maybe you will be right as well so who knows but yeah so thank you very much for your time and if anyone uh, listening to this wants to start and get your feet in the self-driving i recommend uh, looking into Think Autonomous, his website. It's the the link is in the description. Thank you. Yeah, that's thinkautonomous.ai, and uh, it's also related to computer vision and all of that. So yeah, definitely give it a look. Thank you, Luis. Give it a look if you if you have some kind of of background in the in the AI field. If you don't, you can look into my guide my guide to to get started and then jump into Think Autonomous. So that's a a good learning path if you if you like the the online the online way, and so yeah, thank you very much for your time, Jeremy. It was thank, thank you super interesting and super useful. I it definitely was. Thank you. Was happy to talk. Thank to you. you.